If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel. And this week, I'm excited for you to meet Dan Lewis, co-founder and CEO of Convoy, a digital trucking network that is transforming the trillion-dollar global trucking industry. Dan started Convoy in 2015 with the mission to transport the world with endless capacity and zero waste. The company works with over 300,000 trucks and is on track to generate a billion dollars in revenue this year. Before Convoy, Dan served as a general manager of new shopping experiences at Amazon after having product and data roles at Microsoft, Google, and various startups. Dan started his career in supply chain and strategy consulting for Oliver Wyman, working in operations across Europe, Latin America, and the United States. Dan graduated from Yale University with a bachelor's degree in cognitive science. And with that, let's welcome Dan. Hey, Dan. Let's just start from the basic for people who are tuning in. Uh, What's Convoy in your own words? And walk us through the origin story. Absolutely. So Convoy is a trucking company, and we help companies that ship freight. There are over 100,000 companies that ship truckloads of freight and spend about a trillion dollars a year in the United States on trucking. We help them move their freight. Before Convoy, they were doing this offline, and they would call and text and email trucking companies and brokers and try to find trucks. We brought all those trucking companies, the mom and pop, one to 10 truck trucking companies. It's almost a million of them. We brought them online, put them on a digital platform and made it very easy for them to find freight. So we help all these shippers across the country easily find trucking companies, get visibility into where those trucking companies are, understand pricing, get data, track the shipment, all this stuff that just makes it much more efficient, reduces waste. Dan, I know one of the, um, you kind of had a, a unique origin story and that it involved lots and lots of early research for you to really understand the problem. Can you walk us through a little bit more of the problem? Like, tell it, help us understand the magnitude of the issue. Yeah, that's a really good thing to start with. When I first started, I wrote a what sucks about being a shipper and what sucks about being a carrier list. And it came from conversations. So I had written up this idea of, hey, it's a smart thing to do to start with an audience and start with a business model and then think about you know ways you can create a business around that. And I spent a bunch of time talking to truck drivers, small trucking companies, and companies that ship freight. Wandered all around Seattle, the up and down the I-5, trying to find people who would talk to me. And what I realized was, if you're a company shipping freight, you don't know where the truck is. You don't know what a fair price is for that truck. There's no market that's visible for what the price should be. It's hard to find reliable trucks that will show up on time. So you don't even know if the truck's going to necessarily be there on time. Getting the paperwork can be difficult. Just all the processes and steps of dealing with a very fragmented industry of truck drivers. On the trucking side, these small trucking companies are wondering, when am I going to get paid? They might do the job and not get paid for 45 days. Am I going to get a job that brings me back home? I'm out on the road. I've been running for four or five days. 
I'm looking for my next job. If I can't find one that brings me the direction I want to go, I might be running hundreds of miles empty and running out of money. You know, am I going to be taken care of when I'm on the road? Is there parking for me tonight? You know, just some really basic fundamental questions. You know, how do I run productively and not have tons of empty miles? 35% of the time when trucks run, they're empty. So a third of the trucks you see running down the highway are running empty. And it's an incredibly large, but very fragmented and inefficient industry. So these problems were pervasive, even when we were starting in 2015. What role did the, the rise of the smartphone play, for example? Give us a sense of why 2015 mm-hmm. was the right year to build this. So the problem had existed for as long as trucking, the problems I just described. The reason 2015 was the right year to build it, it was for the first time we could solve those problems in a new way using technology. Many industries have been disrupted, but for the trucking industry to be disrupted, you had to have mobile technology in the trucks themselves and in the cabs and with these small trucking companies because they're these owner operators and small businesses running around the country. Until about 2014, 2015, truck drivers didn't have smartphones. And they would get the free phone typically when they upgraded with AT&T or Verizon every two years. That was the way it worked. And that was the feature phone or the Motorola, Motorola Razor, you know, the sidekick, all these phones for a while. And all of a sudden, in 2014, the Samsung Galaxy S3 was the free phone you could get with your upgrade. And the next year, it was the iPhone. They had some less expensive iPhones. So all of a sudden, truck drivers are going on iOS and Android. Now you can have real-time tracking you can have you know, a conversation with them. They can install an app and you can get all this information and you can actually light up that truck on a network and have a real engaging experience with that small owner operator running their truck and partner with them to help them run their business through this mobile device. Until then, there was no financially or logistically feasible way to distribute hardware to all these trucks. If I brokered a load to a truck two states away, I'm not going to be able to overnight FedEx, like a Qualcomm Omnitrax hardware unit that they're going to somehow install in their truck to give me feedback for that one job. It wouldn't make any sense financially, and it would be too hard to show them how to do it. So there wasn't really an option until they had the smartphone. Fortunately, that also coincided with a really big rise in kind of data science and understanding how big data could improve the orchestration of a system and efficiencies and optimization. So all of a sudden, you have one of the most complicated, fragmented, distributed industries in the world a million small trucking companies, millions of trucks running around the country, and you get that all online. You put that online. And then you have a kind of set of technologies around big data and data analysis to optimize that and make sense of it. One of the biggest problems you're really trying to solve is that almost 35% of all miles driven are empty miles. What are the biggest levers to you fixing that? What are the things that you can do to make sure that those trucks aren't empty? So the biggest levers are creating visibility into available jobs. Today, if that small trucking company or that owner operator is trying to find their next job, they're calling around to different brokers or relationships they have, trying to see what that person happens to have available right now. That's a small set of the jobs. There are millions of trucking jobs that happen every day. So there may be a job picking up nearby that would take them in the right direction at the right time. They're never going to see it. So bringing it all together on a single platform dramatically increases the ability to run efficiently because you have so many more options you can see and you can fill your truck for that empty leg. Another one is every warehouse out there, every facility has appointment times for when the truck should show up and when it can drop off. If the appointment times aren't optimized, the truck can't do their next job. So maybe there's an appointment time they have at five o'clock, but the other job needs to be picked up at three. And they're just sitting there ready to unload but the appointment's at five. If they could move that appointment up to one, 
because we, they understood there was a job at three. If somebody could orchestrate that change in the system around these appointments and these locations, you could actually unlock all sorts of additional opportunities to get that next efficient run without driving empty further. And so Convoy does this. I mean, we look at generating batches of jobs, multiple jobs across multiple companies that we stitch together into a single offering to minimize the empty miles the truck driver's running between jobs. And we work with appointment times to make those optimal. What advice would you have for people out there that are building products that they're passionate about, but that they are not actually able or their leadership teams to be the everyday users of? What, what were the ways that you made that problem proximate or feel more intimate for everybody on your team? Teach us. You have to just talk about it and acknowledge it and explicitly set the example that you're going to go out and meet your customers and the people you're working with. I had a leadership team offsite recently. Instead of going to some nice resort and spending a day together in a conference room talking about our strategy, we drove to a truck stop in North Bend and had some of our truck drivers show up and take all of our leadership team on drives all around and explain to them what's happening and just talk to them about it. We spent the afternoon at one of the largest shippers in the country sitting there for four or five hours with them walking us through how they run their shipping department. And that's at the top setting an example of we're going to get out there and we're going to meet the people that we work with and actually directly interact with them. We record sales calls and support calls and have a broader base of employees listen to hear it directly from the customer. One thing I did early on is I made every employee sign up to be able to do a full demo. So they had to know how to use the, the website that a shipper would use to book a load, to set it all up and run it. They had to know how to have a, the app on their own phone that a trucking company would use. They would create a shipment, book the shipment on their phone, run through the entire shipment and talk through that and demo it. Part of the rite of passage is demoing the product to me and some other people and getting feedback on how you talked about it because you're learning about the customer. I didn't know how to speak the language of trucking. I came from some supply chain experiences. I had driven some straight trucks and vans, but I did not know it, understand the culture of like heavy over the road trucking. So I just went on YouTube, watched truck drivers talk and explain things in videos that they were recording of themselves. So I could hear how they use the vocabulary of the industry. I could look on Wikipedia and see all the key terms of trucking, but that's not, that's irrelevant for how you actually use them. Dan, I want to go back a little bit to how you think about competition, because when you really started Convoy, you had a massive opportunity and very few people going after it. How do you think about competition today for Convoy? I think when you start as a, as a, as a new entrant, you kind of look around and say, who else is, is trying to disrupt this space and transform it and do something new? And you think, and you focus on that. And at this point, you know, I think what we've realized is it's such a massive industry. And what really matters is how we position and how we work with customers to, to transition their business from an old way of doing things to a new way of doing things, especially as a B2B model. And that's really how I think about, like, I spend a lot of time thinking about the, the large scale incumbents and how my customers work with them today and how I can help, you know, them move to the future. Dan, I'd be remiss not to ask because obviously through COVID, supply chain challenges became something that every one of us at least conceptually heard about, knew about, what are the supply chain challenges? Can you help us understand yeah. what happened? And then second, what role does Convoy, what role do you play in helping make that better for everybody here in the country? So, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why we are where we are today. We're actually seeing, just to be really clear, as of the last few months, the costs of ocean shipping and the costs of running trucks have come down significantly. 30, 40%. So we're actually seeing now a shift back the other way. 
during COVID, people shifted their dollars to buying stuff. So you couldn't spend your money on vacation. You couldn't spend your money on going out to dinner, on going to a show, taking your kids out. You spent your money on buying stuff for your home. You upgraded your home. You were spending all this time in your home. And generally, people's incomes stayed pretty steady and actually increased due to a lot of the stimulus dollars that were that were shared. And, and people's disposable income increased significantly because, you know, for obvious reasons, it wasn't discriminatory how the dollars were distributed. It was sort of everybody gets gets the money. And so if you if you already had enough money, now you have a bunch of money to spend. You know, Amazon was operating at peak. They build for peak, which happens during the holiday season. So their entire network's designed to handle that level of surge. They just were full time at peak because of the level of purchases that were happening. And you can imagine that multiplied across all these companies that are selling goods. So all of a sudden the demand's incredibly high for goods. We are manufacturing and importing more than ever before. So there was just a huge surge and it led to a supply and demand imbalance. At the same time, people didn't want to work as much because A, it's risky to be out driving a truck or working in a port or whatever during COVID. And there were so many alternatives to working at the time designed to help people avoid, you know, getting sick or, or shutdowns of their business. So you could actually kind of just stop working and take some time off. And we saw that happen in a lot of labor related industries. You can't go get your new commercial driver's license because the trucking schools are closed. The manufacturers of trucks can't get their parts because the supply chain's backed up, so they can't make new trucks. There's just all these things that backed up, but everybody kind of reacted. Everybody bought a bunch of inventory, ordered more than they needed because they expected it not to show up. And now you swing to now. And so because that all happened, you have too much inventory and demand's coming down because the stimulus checks haven't happened for a while and people are spending money on plane flights as, as we're seeing. You know, flights are probably more expensive than they've ever been. And so now you're seeing kind of that supply chain um, get a breather and some of the rates are coming down. And it's actually creating a challenge in the trucking space because a lot of new entrants came in during the surge when rates were really high, paid top dollar for their truck and their trailer. Obviously, the, the, the reason the prices went up so much is because there wasn't enough supply. So supply started coming into the market to chase that opportunity. And as the market comes back down, it's difficult. A lot of trucking companies and small trucking companies don't have enough freight now and the, and the prices at the right level to pay for these equipment purchases they made. Convoy's job in that is, how do we work with trucking companies to run more efficiently? Because at the end of the day, if the goal is to take home the dollars to pay off these investments and to make money, if you have fewer empty miles and you're able to run more productively, you get paid faster, more reliably, then you're going to be better off than if you're running less efficiently and, and more concerned about when you're going to get paid. And so that's kind of the convoy model. Tell us if we fast forward five to 10 years, what are the very obvious big sort of swim lanes of innovation that you will confront and that you're starting to actively live in and think about that we can all learn from you? Autonomous trucking. Yep. And how that impacts the industry. Other forms of fuel for trucks. So hydrogen and electric. I think there's there's a very driver and, and driver supportive and driver friendly version of autonomous, which should happen sooner than later if we handle things right. And let's talk about the benefits of it real quick. Awesome. Yeah. One is that today a driver is limited by their hours of service. I can only run my truck for 11 hours a day, which means I'm really only getting 500 to 600 miles per day. To solve for that, there's this concept of team driving, which means there's two drivers in the truck and one sleeping in the back while the other one's driving. And then they can run that truck 20, you know, 22, 24 hours a day to expedite something and get it there very quickly. With autonomous, that truck can run theoretically 20 to 24 hours a day, depending on, you know, stops to fuel and such, or to charge up. That is twice as productive as today's trucks. People talk about a capacity shortage and a driver shortage. 
you've eliminated that. You take the you take the assets that are on the road and the companies that are buying these assets, and all of a sudden, those trucks can be running twice as long per day and get twice as much done. Safety. It's hard driving a truck. It's tiring driving a truck. Long nights, uh, maybe driving overnight, not sleeping well in the back of your cab. You know, just the idea of not only fully autonomous, but just driver assist. Think of like the Tesla autopilot stuff. Just driver assist for the truck driver to make it easier to stay safe on the road and to keep all of us safe around trucks. I think that's going to be also a really big push in this autonomous concept. And it's great. A lot of these yards and kind of the facilities, the trucks that run these trailers around the facilities, when a warehouse runs really efficiently, then everything else runs efficiently. Where all the delays happen, the trucks are trying to get in and out of these warehouses, these choke points, and they get delayed at the pickup, they get delayed on the way out, the trailer's not preloaded. But if you can make those warehouses more efficient with autonomous vehicles moving trailers around, repositioning things and getting things organized in that warehouse, it'll actually make the warehouse run much more efficiently. And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suite helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Dan, I want to transition a little bit um, to you. I want to just start from the beginning. Was there something that your parents did that you look back in the rearview mirror that you think really helped you be successful? They didn't want to tell me what to do. They didn't. They weren't the parents that were like, "You need to do this and this and this, and this is success, and you have to do this to be successful." And you know, forcing me to kind of like take up anything specifically. They just always said, "Do well." My mom basically said two things to me: whatever you do, do well. Like, do it well. Don't do stuff half-assed. Don't you know waste your time if you're not going to actually try to do it well. And I, if you do something wrong, I hope you get caught. <laughs> Those were the two things she would always say. They let me. Um, make a bunch of decisions for myself when I was young. So when I was 13 or 12, going into middle school, seventh grade, this local kind of small neighborhood private church school that I'd gone to in, in elementary school was kind of partially shutting down. I didn't really want to go there anymore. I lived in Seattle in, in Northgate. My friend was going to the school two districts away. And I said, I'd love to go to school with him. I'm like, well, we'll try to get you a waiver, but we can't drive you out there right now. So they let me take the public bus every day to school when I was 13 you know, through the city and figure out my own logistics, figure out how to like time the bus to get to the school bus and to go to this house and wait for the bus there and all these pieces. And I became pretty independent. I realized I had to like figure these things out on my own. So I think I actually look back on that as a, as a gift of them just trusting me to figure some stuff out and letting me um, make my own decisions and then take responsibility for making it happen. They didn't constrain me. They just made me take responsibility. Walk us through what moving fast looks like in practice. Like, how did you build that into the culture of your organization? And also, where do you think it comes from in you? So I remember somebody told me when I was using Google and Gmail early on, you know, speed's a feature. And I remember thinking when I was building Convoy, actually, that, that quote I remember came into my head. And I was like, what are features of building a company? And I was like, speed is going to be a feature. I'm going against companies that are not going to be able to move as fast. They maybe have more money, more people, more access, more relationships but they're going to be slower at reacting and moving. So what are the differentiating 
things about Convoy that could help us win and be successful. And then I realized one of those is speed. The way we actually implemented that is we actually said that very explicitly. We made it a value. We have a, you know, a sheet of values that we use to hire and develop people and dictate how we operate, our operating principles. And one of them was always have a sense of urgency. And it specifically spelled out the bad habits I had seen in other companies. And again, it's natural for a bigger company to be this way. But I remember I was at Microsoft and I would have meetings. And at the end of every meeting, it felt like somebody would say, okay, well, let's check in on this again in a week or let's check in on this again next month. It was almost a reflex at the end of the meeting. And I had done worked in other big companies where that was kind of a reflex, not just Microsoft of like, well, let's punt this, you know, it's checking on a week or a month because that's when the next recurring thing was and you would just create this cadence around it. And I was like, okay, if that's the speed everybody else operates at, we should figure it out the same day. Like we just had this discussion. I'll get this back tomorrow morning or tonight. And if you can do that, you're going to get so much faster than your competitors. And as a startup, you don't have a lot of assets. But one of the assets you have is hustle, determination, passion for the job and the mission you're on, the story that you're a part of, and the fact that you and the people around you are willing to put in more time and be scrappier and have fewer like bureaucratic processes to slow you down. You have to fully lean into that. I mean, you're trying to get off the ground to get in orbit so you can survive. And I, so we built it into the, the principles and the culture. One of our, for our first board member that came into our office one day when we were just starting and said, like speed matters. Think of yourselves as behind. Think of yourselves as already losing. And there's somebody out there that wants what you want and they're, get, they're ahead of you right now. And so there's downsides to it. And it's not always the same all throughout every part of your journey. And it was pretty critical for getting going. I would encourage every entrepreneur to think of speed as a feature versus your competitors. They don't have that feature. I absolutely love this anecdote you shared about Bezos, who's one of your first investors. He told you, you're going to hit a point where you need to get to the next level. You're going to have to just spend a year and a half to two years just hiring. Lean into that when it happens. What have you learned about hiring? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, actually. That was a fun moment. And I had no idea what he meant at the time. Because <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to spend a year and a half hiring. What are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, that sounds slow. The opposite of speed. What I've learned about hiring is... The most important thing, whether it's at the executive level or a new employee, people want to work on problems, not implement a solution that already exists. It's way more interesting to position the job and the opportunity for someone as a problem statement around, we're hiring you to solve this problem. Our company wants to go from A to B. We're so excited about that. To get there, we have to overcome this challenge and solve this problem. We need someone who's going to be awesome at doing that. Can you come do that here and be part of that story? And then tell the story of the company every week in every way you can to align people's opportunity with that story and the problem orientation around their job. It's just a fundamentally more rewarding thing to do. And it's much more attractive to feel like you're going to join a team and solve a problem and be part of a story than it is to read a list of tasks you're expected to execute on in your new job where you're executing on like the thing. So I've learned that is the storytelling around that and the messaging around that is incredibly important. That's one, don't overlevel. In the early days, it's very easy to give away big titles and to hire people who aren't qualified for that level of title. And then a year or two later, they aren't in that role. And there's a, there's two schools of thought on that. I've just found generally try to create you know respect and wait for the titles you have at your company so they mean something in your market 
and don't get you into trouble later by having too many people that are way too senior. Draw a picture for somebody physically on a piece of paper if, if, if you're in the early stages and someone's worried about the risk of joining a startup. And, and this, is what I, this is what I genuinely believe when I used to say, I'm not going to hire anyone at this phase of my company that is not imminently hireable, that could not get a job somewhere else. I only want to hire people that are very hireable. So if this doesn't work out, you're going to go get a better job probably than you had before you came here because you'll have this experience plus what you had and you're incredibly hireable as an individual. Here's your total life earnings. I'm drawing it on a piece of paper. Under the area of this curve is your life earnings. Here's the divot you're going to take out in terms of the cash you earn over the next year to, to come to a startup for the next couple of years. And if it works, then it's going to bump up after that. And if it doesn't, you'll go back to the track you were on before. And just sometimes showing people a visual representation of what they're really giving up, what the risk really is, and how you wouldn't even be talking to them if they weren't incredibly hireable um, helps remind them that the risk is actually not that significant. How do you stay sane? Is there like one or two things that you just do to like center yourself, you know, in the midst of you're literally running a logistics company through COVID? I mean, it's just wild. I'm sure that came with a lot of stress. One of the things is, and it, for every founder in every situation, it's hard to not give everything to your company. So what's really important is to actually identify the things that matter to you. It's not going to be everything, but prioritize the things that matter and write them down and do them. And I'll get, what I mean by that is, you have your immediate family, you have your broader extended family, you have your friends, you have your hobbies, you have the fun trips and the people you want to stay acquaintances with, and you have your business. You can just think of all the things you can spend your time on in your life. You have to be willing as a founder to give up some of those things for a while. Not, per not entirely and permanently, but like you have to be able to say, what of those is actually going to be your priority list? For me, it was my immediate family, my broader family in the area, and my company. That was my priority. And so I would go home and not work so I could have dinner with my kids. And then I would work you know, and spend time with my, my wife. That's like hard. And then, cause then you have to give up things, everything else. And at night you're like, okay, I'm gonna actually sleep a little bit less and work. And I'm not gonna do the hobby I used to do. I'm not gonna go on that extra trip. That's kind of how I approached it. I was just willing to not do things, but I wasn't willing to not coach my daughter's basketball team and go to every game. And go to my niece's birthdays and like I love it. Those are the priorities. So I just won't do these other things. And I wasn't a very good as in touch with some of my friends like over that time. And I was willing to make that trade-off because I wanted to try this. I want to do it. But I knew I couldn't do all of it. And you just have to decide what you're gonna do and not do. I think it's as simple as that. And then just actually know how to say no. It's hard to say no to opportunities that come up. I didn't go to a lot of the boondoggles. There are so many boondoggles as a founder of a pretty high profile company that's raised a lot of money you can go to. I go to Boondoggle every, every week somewhere or some sort of network event or something. And I just didn't do most of those. I remember learning from the CEO of Redfin, Glenn Kelman, who I really like, and he's in Seattle here. We were running one day and he's like, you know, I just don't take long trips. So I try to take really short trips because I want to be home and I'm willing to take frequent trips, but they're going to be short. I'm not going to say the extra day at the beginning. I'm not going to say the extra at the end and they're going to be quick. Dan, here's the end of this interview. I'm going to ask you super fast questions. You're just going to tell me the first thing that comes to mind as quickly as you can. Super okay. fast questions. Number one, a book that's changed your life. What is it? Albert Camus, The Stranger. It was the first book I ever read that was blew my mind. And then the best business book I read was Five Dysfunctions of a Team. It helped me during a time when my team was not functional. Um, I also have read that a few times. Uh, I love that. Um, best interview question. Something you like to ask people gets to the core of who they are. Uh, when I'm interviewing a product leader, I ask them to create a game that we can play. And I ask them to create a game we can play right now. And then they have to 
understand why the game should exist, design a game, then I ask them to scale it to the office and ask them to scale it to the city and they have to play it in the same time frame. So how do you actually think about designing something with rules and outcomes and that's cohesive and that you can scale? And it's actually a very good product question, I think, is to ask them to generate a game and there's no reason they can't other than just the lack of ability to do that. Biggest pinch me moment to date at Convoy where you literally came home to your family and said, I just can't believe we succeeded at that. What was that? I got to go pitch Bono and The Edge and U2 at their concert in Seattle and they invested. And I got to have one of the most insane days of my like music idols and got to do that. That was my pinch me okay, moment. Okay, that's the, the, the best one I've ever heard. <laughs> that's amazing. I'm jealous. That's really cool. Um, fast forward to two years from today. How many days a week do people work in offices? White collar workers who go to offices. I think some people are in the office every day and some people are not in the office at all at that point. I don't think the average will matter. I think it's going to be the model. It's going to be multiple models and the companies have to pick one and it won't be like some average. It'll be one or the other. Uh, that's a really good answer. Um, last question here is other than Convoy, one area of innovation that you're fascinated by anything, an area that is just lighting up your mind that you've been learning about. You know, I think everyone goes through a phase where they, they're really fascinated about innovation in like health and their body and energy and, and kind of like productivity and, and being a healthy person. I've been, I wasn't as fascinated that for a long time as so many of these different things came and went. I think recently I've been really fascinated by that. Just the science behind how your body works, how you can be healthy and have energy and be productive. And like, that's fascinating to me. I love it. Um, Dan, first of all, thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody out there, if you haven't already checked out Convoy, head to convoy.com. And you can join us next week for Ink the Founders Project with Alex Von Tobel. Dan, you are a really, really amazing human with such great answers. This was an absolute pleasure. We're all rooting for you. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. 